Welcome to Gears Action Growth, shifting business culture one conversation at a time. My name is Dr. Josephine Palermo, and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. We're back for season two with a new co-host. Please welcome the enigmatic Dr. Ian Butterworth. Our wonderful season one co-host, the vivacious Christy Mori, is busy pursuing other projects so she won't be back for another season, but don't worry, I'll get her back on this show so she can tell us all about it. Well, hello, I'm here with Dr. Ian Butterworth and it's such a, a privilege always to talk to Ian. So Ian, we spoke a little bit last year, but um, I just wanted to introduce yourself to everybody listening because we're going to do a few interviews together and have a few conversations together. And so I wanted to introduce you in a more personal sense because they're going to hear your voice. And just um, for those of you that I know have been listening for a while, um, just wanted to let you know that Christy sends her love. Um, she's gone off to work full-time in a great job. Um, it was a really fantastic um, career opportunity for her. So she's um, doing that and um, so she, she won't be joining on the podcast, but maybe, or not on a regular basis, but I'm hoping to have her come on and uh, maybe say hello from time to time. And of course, um, I'd love, Ian, uh, if you could uh, really just... Tell everyone a little bit about yourself if they haven't heard our uh, conversations in the past and and then I'll ask you a few questions as we go. Well, thanks, Josie. Um, forgive me, I sound a little bit nasal. I'm recovering from COVID. Um, on our long weekend in Victoria 10 days ago, my partner and I went to a party and for the first time in probably two years, we're not wearing a mask and there you have Aww. it. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a rough few days, but I'm just so grateful for science and vaccinations. What can I say? So you and I met, uh, God, 22 years ago, I think. Um, we just <gasps> finished our PhDs. Yes. Actually, you know, it's, it's coming up for 23 years ago. Oh, oh Ian, God. you don't have to count them. Sorry about that. <laughs> we both just finished our doctorates at Victoria University in yeah. Melbourne. And I was doing some casual work in um, some part of the administration, and I'm, I got to work with you somehow. And yeah. our eight-year eight relationships both ended on the same day. We both came to work looking That's like right. we'd been both hit on the head. That's and, right. And um, we've been bonded ever since. Exactly. I remember having a, a walk in the in the park across the road from Victoria University, I think it was, and really just talking about how rough, you know, the weekend had been. And I was telling you about how my relationship had ended and you said, oh my God, my relationship had ended, that your relationship had ended as well. And so it was a very bonding experience and we were able to really support each other through that, weren't we? It was really yeah. a lovely time, yeah. Yeah, my, my partner, uh, you know, I'd waited all these, all of those years to finish it so we could maybe earn a little bit more money and have a more stable life together. And, and he said, oh, I can go now, you've finished. It's like, well, great, off you go, pal. And, and, exactly, and you know, PhDs are like that. They're sort of like journeys. And, and in some ways, I mean, there were other reasons my marriage at the time ended, but part of it was because 
I had always said that after my PhD, I wanted to travel and work uh, overseas. And uh, it just didn't um, align with the goals of my, my, my husband at the time. I mean, obviously there were other things going on too, but I think PhDs are kind of like that. You start as a person, as a particular person, and by the end of it, you're sort of a different person because it's quite a, it's, I, feel, I feel like it's quite a privileged time where you get to really deep dive into one area you know that kind of learning you never get the opportunity to do very often and and i think you have to be quite selfish when you're doing that don't you it's 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 a time where you really need to set boundaries and you really have to be selfish and very obsessed in a way and your obsession lasts me for years and years and years because it takes years and years and years to do a phd by research yes one of my deep dives was into my own sort of abyss of de-individuation that occurs over those years you sort of lose touch a little bit with who you are or who you were and you have to live this damn thing 24 7 365 uh it's it's a it's an unbelievably lonely and isolating experience and i think any partner of a doctoral student um is going to suffer um, and unless they're also involved in something that's about self-education or self-development, I think I think the relationship can actually stagnate and uh, fall apart. Um, so yeah, but I mean, God, I'm so glad I did it, and we got to meet each other. So that's there you right, go. <laughs> exactly, Ian. And um, and you know, can, can we also just um, maybe if you could just share where your career took you and um. I know it's a kind of, you know, it's a story, but maybe if you could do that in kind of, give give us the highlights. You know, what are the highlights around oh what happened God. after that? <laughs> the highlights. Well, I mean, I did my PhD because I trained in community organisational psychology in Perth. Um, and I always wanted to alternate practice with research and study. So after I did my four years, I went and lived in Darwin for a couple of years and helped to set up HIV support programs up there. And after that, I was determined to go and live the Sydney um, dystopia, you know, the as Joni Mitchell said, um, New York's full of people living out the city's malfunction. And um, I went with this sort of Dorothy goes to Oz sort of thing, thinking I was gonna live this fantastic life <laughs> um, but when I got there I realized I changed and Sydney wasn't quite where I fitted in um, and I worked with survivors of brain injury for several years putting into practice the advocacy work that I'd done in Darwin um, but I'd always wanted to turbocharge that experience by doing a doctorate to make sense of it and actually have a little bit more political clout um, I, I wanted to be a social change agent and my purpose for doing the research was to channel all of that work that I'd done into environmental education for adults. Because I always saw that there was a disjoint between all the edu all the public messaging. It's still the same. still telling people to pull out the recycling. But, you know, the planet's on fire. And, I mean, we actually need political and social and legislative change. We need policy change. We need values change at such a deep level uh, and I did my doctorate to sort of build on that stuff um, 
And I ended up working with older residents of an historical society in St Kilda and migrants um, in the industrial suburbs of Melbourne, which at the time were Altona, although it's probably gentrified since then. Um, and those people talked to me about urban heritage and about the built environment and um, how connection to place and memory is so important as a foundation stone for us at a personal level, but it is a cultural level, things that First Nations people have known for 150,000 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and eventually I found work in government, actually after several months of penury after my doctorate, uh, desperately trying to find work, um, I did find work in government helping to create policy around linking the built environment to health. I mean, it was it was an absolute blessing. Um took me seven months to to get there but I did end up doing that and I absolutely loved it um, supporting Victorian local councils to do that work and developing policy frameworks that actually put my PhD into practice um, if I could go back in time to 1999 I probably would have made more of an effort to publish and perhaps do things that now are considered absolutely fundamental to doing a PhD but I just wanted to work after that I wanted to do things again I wanted to be a practitioner so I did that for several years um, was really honoured to get a Fulbright scholarship to go and study with the man that set up the WHO Healthy Cities program in California that's the World Health Organization WHO yes um, Professor Leonard Dool I wrote to him and this is something i encourage everyone to do if you if you meet someone and you admire them or if you hear about someone and you admire them write to them tell them you admire them and say is there a way we can work together and that would then, work for me yeah well Len said you know he was a psychiatrist that had got in, involved as an urban planner and I was someone that had studied psychology and got involved in the built environment and urban heritage and of course my father was an architect and my mother was a teacher, so go figure. Um, but yeah, I, Len encouraged me to apply for the Fulbright and I did, and it was just the most extraordinary experience. Um, and then you and I met again at Deakin University because I was sort of encouraged to, to come back from Berkeley and work at Deakin and there you were That's again. That's right. Um, it's a bit like when Harry met Sally. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that, Ian. <laughs> And we hung out together and did some fabulous work with the University Community Engagement, oh, University Government Partnerships, which I draw on every single day of my life. Um, the university wasn't ready for us, really, let's face it. Um, no. And even with all that scholarship on university community engagement, I think people in the academy is still judged on very mechanistic things that actually don't don't actually respect the amount of work that goes into building robust, meaningful partnerships that change the world. Um, they're still judged as things, that sort of engagement stuff is stuff you do after you've written your papers and done your teaching, whereas you and I know very well that's actually how you do everything. Um, and then I basically, to cut a long story short, ended back in government and um, worked for seven or eight years creating some really fabulous work around livability, um, setting up partnerships between the state government and the University of Melbourne around 
place health and livability, which has gone on to form this magnificent Healthy Livable Cities uh, laboratory at RMIT, where I still have a, an honorary role there. Um, and I've been working for myself for the last three years, but um, my decision to go solo, it was a, something that the hand of fate pushed me into. Um, I was headhunted to join a not-for-profit and it didn't meet my expectations. So I went freelance, um, which coincided with COVID. <laughs> and um, I had some beginner's luck for the first year, had some really great projects, but um, this last financial year has been pretty grim, let's face it, in a whole lot of ways. And uh, my income stream was withering and I was starting to fragment a little bit. You know, someone working on their own in their home without any social contacts yes. and without any team experiences, I was um, I was really starting to struggle. And it's only since I've taken on this part-time role back in the health sector, doing work that I might have done 15 or 20 years ago, but with great people and in an applied setting. I've only been there five weeks. Um, and it's... Uh, I get to go to a regional city once or twice a week. I get to go to this office that's part of a large hospital where science is respected and where we have to wear masks and where there are all sorts of health protocols. And it feels like an absolute sanctuary from the insanity that has become this sort of uh, batshit crazy uh, spaghetti monster QAnon. I don't know what the hell's happened. We've just spent 200,000 years crawling out of caves and now we're um, we're equating, you know, drinking our own urine to vaccination research. Anyway, I'm back in a team <laughs> experience and I'm loving it. And I think that's a good segue to your expertise as a team culture guru. Thank you, Ian. You always make me laugh. I, 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 you know, I agree sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, thank you for being so tra transparent and, and honest and vulnerable there. Cause I think a lot of people find it hard to sometimes say, you know what, I was struggling. And a lot of people have that experience. We know that globally loneliness has increased and we know that. And you know that that can't it can't be true when we ask everyone how you're going and then everybody's saying I'm fine. It, it, we're not fine, and it's okay to say it. And um and if you say it, someone will you know kind of breathe a sigh of relief and say actually I'm not the only one. And that's the kind of conversations we need to have. So absolutely. And yeah, I I I remember when you said that you started working and it was almost like a you know, I think I think it was almost like a surprise that that kind of social connection um, it, that you were experiencing with the new team um, was bringing you so much, you know, so it was sort of energizing you and bringing you so much more in terms of benefit than you'd expect. And I, because we forget, we forget, you know, how wonderful it is to to have a day where someone smiles at you and talks to you and and, you know, says you know and says hello and maybe have we have a joke with someone you know that kind of belly laugh i remember yeah. when we were in lockdown it was one of those things that i really missed was having a belly laugh with my you know with my group of people because i think it 
it just there's a face to face component to that. There's a social for me. It's a group. I'm I'm a, a raving extrovert. So for me, you know, the bigger the group, the more energized I feel, and that belly laughter and that's just you know just kind of really spending time with people who care about me. But it's not necessarily about work. It's about just you know life in general. So so totally agree. Totally agree with that, Ian. So so thank you for um, sharing with us your career i think that you know as i said a lot of people can relate to it because we particularly as um thinkers and as um knowledge workers and as thought leaders we actually get to the later stages in our career and we often go into our third phase or fourth fourth phase of it where we're often um you know perhaps doing freelance or consulting or you know doing things that are a little bit different to what we've done before and and uh, because of the nature of the, the kind of work environment around us, we don't quite fit in anymore in, in those kind of traditional roles we've done before. And like yourself, sometimes you revisit stuff that you've done before, but it's in a new place and you can bring that kind of different energy to that. So I think that it's all um, it's all beautiful and valuable work um, and, and, and different, right? Like it's a, it's a different experience. It's a surprise to me. Um... I, like you said, I wasn't expected to feel like my mojo. I didn't realize my mojo had gone until I hung out with these people in a coffee shop and we talked about work and life and there was such camaraderie and there was respect and there was intellectual sharing. People have got really diverse backgrounds. And I was like, oh my God, I've really, really missed this. And the thing, what happened during COVID for me is that my midlife crisis was sort of went through a rapid acceleration and I would be applying for work for which I could have done blindfolded only to be knocked back. And that really was hammering me as well. Um, and it's interesting what you said to me the other day because um, I've, I've had to really confront some of my inbuilt programming as a white Western male, despite feeling that I was relatively, you know, I have a relatively... Uh, open mind and and fairly self-reflective but I think um, white men of which I am some form of exemplar still have this narrative that's drummed into us from birth that we're supposed to take on this sort of onwards and upwards trajectory and I mean back when I was at Berkeley nearly 20 years ago my Fulbright mentor then Professor Duell he was nearly 80 and he said to me that his life had always been on the edge of what was considered acceptable and common. Isn't that interesting? And, and that his life had been this, it looked more like a bowl of spaghetti that had been teased apart than a sort of straight line. But God, he was interesting. And um, I guess what I'm experiencing at this point in my life is realising that some of the coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of stuff. And you kind of reach this um, point where you realise, oh, okay, I'm not actually going to do that. My life's not going to be like that. But it might be like this, which is kind of interesting. And another, someone else has said something very interested to, in, very interesting to me, which was, "You're not your job." Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of ourselves is invested in our work, but it could be our vocation. It could be what gives us pleasure. Or it could be, you know, the 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 community we build with people we care about. Um, so it's been interesting for me to tease that apart and uh, the goddess has sort of rubbed my face in it for the last three years um thank you very much <laughs> uh, 
Thank you, Goddess. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Goddess, for that gift. Um, That's here wonderful. We are, here we are working on a podcast together about work and life and teams. I mean, exactly. what could be richer than that? Exactly. How wonderful. And, um, and just while we've got a few more minutes left, I wanted to give people an idea of some of the things that Ian and I have been discussing um, as topics that we're going to explore. And we, we will be interviewing some people together, which will be so much fun. And some of those topics in no particular order include indigenous notions of teams um, which i will find uh such a learning experience because i'm i'm really you know um happy to say or perhaps unhappy to say that i i really don't really understand um indigenous notions of teams at all so for me i'll be like a child and very curious around that um and then we're also going to explore um, some, lo uh, some local governance or government um, topics, one being, for example, is local government positioned to advocate for the community? And we've got some um, ideas about who to talk to about that in terms of whether local government is actually serving the grassroots voice of people um, and how well they're doing that. Uh, and then we particularly want to explore um, social responsibility and in particular how our organisations uh, meeting the needs of uh, our younger um, generations, our younger cohorts of employees for the, for the need that they have to see organisations really empowered around social uh, responsibility and particularly, um, you know, what, it, what impact that has if they're not doing that. Um, and then we're also really excited to be speaking to um, a good friend of Ian's, but also um, someone I've met and who is wonderful. And um, his name is Randall Pierce. And we'll be talking to him about his work in narrative coaching um, and the ways in which he uses that work to um, really um, create um, an enormous impact um, around um, organisations and clients that he works with. Um, and then, of course, we'll dive into some um, other stories for, and we'll hear from other people about their long and beautiful careers because I think that when we talk to people at the, at the later stages of their careers, there's so much wisdom um, that we can, we can learn there and there's so much they can share uh, that we can relate to and resonate with. Um, and so it's always a gift, I think, to talk to people at the later stages of yeah. their career. Uh, and then just lastly, we'll also perhaps dive into um, some of the um, perhaps the, the darker side of organisations, particularly the era of the corporate sociopath and and, or, and topics like that, that, um, you know, perhaps we can um, we can sort of lend some clarity to for people. Um, and, and, you know, but, but there are some huge organisations that make an enormous impact globally that we really need to talk about there. So we'll, we'll dive into that as well. Have I forgotten anything, Ian? I think they're the things that we've been talking about together. Yeah, uh, we'll probably add some more as we go. And we, uh, we would welcome hearing from people who might have some ideas of, of other, you know, other topics. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear from you. Um, so look, we will leave it there. Um, thank you so much, Ian, for joining me. I'm looking forward to um, uh, our next uh, conversation and um, diving into some of those topics. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's always a pleasure. So thank you so much, Ian. My pleasure. Um, you'll have to hit the mute button if I just go on to one of my monologues. You know what I'm like. I will. I'm going to have a big mute button. <laughs> <laughs>